0: Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy. I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing chapter 10 of Mad Ship Homecoming. And this one is Althea coming back to the Vestret House.
1: Yeah. And we noticed that the first book, chapter 10, was Althea leaving the Vestret House. So, a nice, another little cyclical. I don't know if that's the correct term. <laughs> Cyclical. Cyclical uh, movement in the books for uh, from Robin Hobb. I think this happened in the first trilogy with Fitz doing something too. I don't remember what, but. yeah, it
0: Vaguely sparks a memory, but we've been doing this for so long that I yeah. don't remember if we've actually talked about any of that. That's probably true. She pays attention to those kinds of things sometimes.
1: Yeah. It's when Chade was first shown both times in the books is like on the same chapter for the first time in the book. So like oh. the first time he meets Chade in book one,
0: like chapter six or whatever it would yeah, be. Yeah.
1: And then the next chapter, he doesn't meet Chade again until chapter six Oh, or something like that. It, it has to do with Chade though, for sure. Okay, cool. Yeah. Anyway, not super important. Just a little yeah. fun, quirky detail.
0: so althea is as it's described in here marching as if she's going to her death yeah she's describing how you know it's a wonderful place there's all these great little things it's beautiful surrounds and she's in her own head about how people are going to react to her right when it's- she comes back
1: Right. And it's also important to note that she is dressed up in her Athel disguise. Yes. So she looks like a ship's boy right now. And that was because they thought it would be safer for her to leave the boat looking like Athel than it would be to look like herself. Um, right. She would probably get stopped or not get stopped and it wouldn't matter as much. So she's definitely worried about how that's going to affect her homecoming and what her mom and sister will do. And Kyle, no, she knows Kyle she, isn't yep,
0: there. She didn't see Vivacia in the harbor, so right. she knows that her brother-in-law is not there.
1: Right, so she's really worried about Kefria and her mother's reaction to her dressing like a boy. Yeah. And she's really afraid that her coming to them the way that she is, they won't see it as a necessity. They'll just see it as further proof that she's not mature enough to handle Vivacia.
0: She does remark that it has almost been a year since she last left so we've got a little bit of a time marker here and about one year and she says that she had learned so much since then it had seemed like a decade she wanted to have her family recognize how she had grown and then as you said she fears that they're going to judge just based on the clothes instead how could she go back to them now, dressed this way, and make them believe she had matured and was worthy to claim the captaincy of the family liveship? How would they greet her return, with anger or cold disdain? She shook her head furiously to clear it of such thoughts, and turned up the long driveway to her home. She noted with annoyance that the rhododendrons by the gate had not been pinched back. Last spring's leggy growth now sprouted this spring's swelling buds, when they were properly cut back, they would lose a whole year of flowers. She felt a tinge of worry. Call, the groundskeeper, had always been most particular about these bushes. Had something happened to him? Her whole journey up the drive spoke to her of the garden's neglect.
1: Um, I want to quick back up and talk about how it's really sad that Althea's In Althea's mind, the only two options for reaction from her sister and mom are either anger or disdain. There's no like relief. She's safe or love or even acceptance of the matter. So I think this is really sad that that's what the relationship is like in this family. And I guess it makes sense, like where they left off and especially because she's already the black sheep.
0: It could be her own anxiety exacerbating that, too. Right. Like it's not necessarily she is correct. In assuming that, although my viewpoint of the Vestrus is that they're not very warm as a family in general. So, I mean, it's probably accurate, but I think it is colored as well by her maturing and realizing the things that she did in the past were wrong. So now she's just like, I'm doing the right thing overall, but they're going to see me still as a child.
1: Right. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to point that out because Mm -hmm. she just, I don't know, I just feel so bad for her because on the one hand, their relationship isn't very good and you can tell that from this. But also on the other hand, there's all that added pressure she's putting on herself because she just can't even fathom there being a world where they're okay with everything. So. But as she goes on, she does notice the disarray of the house. And I know that we've been getting a little bit of that from Malta, Kefria, and Veronica's point of view. But from their point of view, I guess the way that I always read it is things are just a little dusty. It's still a grand manor and it's like still beautiful. It just isn't as clean as it used to be. But the way Althea describes everything as she comes through and as she continues to go through the house, it feels more like this is a home in disrepair and not really just something that was neglected this year. It's a good show from a perspective that hasn't been living with the gradual change. So she can really see all the changes like right in front of her face. Like, whoa, this is so different from what I think of when I think of home.
0: Yeah. They talk about that a couple times in this chapter and Robin Hobb does a great job of actually showcasing that in her writing as well and showing the reader, the jump from the gradual slide to Althea's new fresh eyes. And as a reader, we should be used to how it is, but it's not described or thought of in the Vesteret household point of views mm-hmm. because that's the reality. Right. And Althea gets to see it through fresh eyes and then is therefore describing it for the reader as well. And so we're also we also know how they got to this point, but can also experience the surprise and shock at how bad it is. Yeah, it's really well done.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think it especially is so poignant because the last we saw of the Vestrits, they were getting ready to have rain and Janie Cupris in their home and they were talking about how they didn't have servants anymore, but we weren't really able to tell how long they haven't had servants for and how things really looked, right? Because the way they talk about it, it's like, yeah, we don't have servants right now, but things aren't that bad. And the way Althea describes it, things are that bad. It is very clear that they are not, they don't really have any money anymore.
0: Well, I mean, they did talk about Like so in the beginning of the book, I think, or maybe the end of last book, Ronica was talking about, yeah, we can never really let Nana go and because she's so old and no one else will want her around. And then she got an offer. So like Ronica's like, Yep, thank God she's gone and had a good place to go because we couldn't keep doing anything. They only have Rage now. Yeah. So Literally all of the servants, <laughs> yeah. except for Rach, who is technically owned, is now uh, is now gone. So yeah. It's just Malta, Kefria, Ronica, and Rach in their big mansion that probably had a cook with multiple helpers, as we see in the kitchen when yeah. Althea goes, a groundskeeper, obviously, Nana, and probably a couple other housekeepers. right. Plus any other, you know, like a butler or lead servant or anything like that. It's just empty.
1: Yeah. And when Althea last left, there was enough servants around where when she came back drunk with Brashen. A couple of them
0: gathered, yeah. Yeah,
1: Ronica had said, stop talking about this out here. The servants are going to talk. So it's a huge change. It hasn't even been a whole year.
0: And so she is approaching the house and she says she almost expects it to find it abandoned with the state of disrepair that the yard is in. Instead, everything is flung open to the spring air. There's a flute that cascades out to greet her. A few gigs drawn up before the front door told her that a gathering was in progress. It was a merry one, judging by the sudden trill of laughter that mingled for a moment with the music. Althea diverted her steps to the back entrance, wondering more with every step she took. Her family had hosted no gatherings since her father fell ill. Did this party mean that her mother had ended her mourning period early? That did not seem like her. Nor could Althea imagine her mother allowing the grounds to be neglected while spending coin on parties. None of this made sense. Foreboding nibbled at her. And that's true. It's not like Ronacle to do that, but they were backed into a corner, and again we know that Althea doesn't know the details.
1: Yeah. She is an outsider in this case. And so it is really weird. But I think also by getting her point of view, we kind of get a look and to see what all the other old traders must be thinking as well. Right. Yeah. So although it's strange for her, it must be even stranger for people who know even less about the family and what's going on.
0: When she walks away, or maybe it's when she's walking up, she notes that other traders' houses are also not in the best state.
1: Yeah. As so she walks, she walks away yeah. back to the ship. So it's something that she didn't notice coming up. Cause she was mm-hmm. so in her own head that like being at home and seeing it, not like she remembered it snapped her out of that. But then on their way back is coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Things are different.
0: So she heads to the back door, goes through the kitchen and people that she doesn't recognize are working there. And she doesn't think too much of that because servants come and go as families offer for the best ones. And Servants are kind of passed around from household to household, so she doesn't draw any alarm from that really. Right. She just notes, okay, there are servants here, and everything <laughs> everything's kind of normal. A serving girl came into the kitchen with an empty tray. She clattered it down and rounded on Althea. What do you want here? Her voice was both chill and bored. For once, Althea's mind was faster than her mouth. She made a sketchy bow. I've a message for Captain Tanira of the live ship Ophelia for trader Ronica Vestrit. It's important. He asked me to deliver it to her in private. There. That would get her some time alone with her mother. If there were guests in the house, she didn't want to be seen by them while she was still dressed as a boy." The serving girl looked troubled. She is with guests just now. Very important ones. It is a farewell gathering. It would be awkward to call her away. She bit her lower lip. Can the message wait a bit longer? Perhaps while you ate something? The maid smiled as she offered this little bribe. And so Althea is like, yep, that's no problem. I can do that. The message can wait a bit, I suppose. Mind if I wash my hands first? She nods towards the kitchen pump and the maid is like, no, no, no. You can use the one in the backyard. So Althea kind of grins at that. It's like, yeah, I am dressed as a ship's boy, so I got to learn my place.
1: Yeah, it's definitely interesting because... Althea keeps forgetting her role and then remembering, oh, yeah, I'm not Althea Vestrit right now, so I don't just get to do what I want. And she talks a lot about how it's weird to have people lead her around her own house and boss her around in her own house and how this isn't a position she's used to. But she's kind of having fun playing pretend, I guess.
0: So she describes her delicious meal. (laughs) Right. And then uh, once her hunger is sated she becomes more aware of the kitchen bustle and starts paying attention to what's happening around her.
1: Yeah. And I do want to point out that she notes this meal is not something she ever would have been served as Althea. It's like the butts of the of the bread and the like not as good cuts of meat and just kind of like the edges of pieces that won't be mine to be gone. And She's like, even though this is not necessarily like the good stuff, it tastes so good because she's been on a ship for the last almost year and hasn't really gotten a ton of fresh food. Right. So it's nice to be home and in the kitchen. And after she finishes, like you said, she's looking around and she talks a little bit about how the kitchen has always had a mystic place to her because before she was with her father on the ship, She's she was a little kid. Yeah, she was a little kid and wasn't really allowed in the kitchen, but it was something her mom, and I think also Kefria, as she mentions, did get to go in and like be part of. She just wasn't allowed. And so it kind of holds this magical mystery to her. And the more she's sitting here in this place and watching it as it works, she realizes it's not that magical and mysterious. It's just another busy workplace. And the cook lords over everybody like a captain. It's, <laughs> so it's really... It's kind of cute in a way that she like is getting to enjoy this and be like, oh, you know, this is this place I've always wanted to be in, because I never got the chance. Once I went off with my dad, this was kind of just not something I got to indulge in anymore. And the kitchen is a cool place, but not as exciting as I thought. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so she's sitting around being inconspicuous because she is Athel, the ship's boy, and can hear the servants all talking about the people that they're serving. "'I'll need another platter of the sausage rolls.' "'Trader Loudshirt seems to think we baked them for him alone. "'That's better than doing what that Orpal girl is doing. "'Look at this plate, heaped with food we worked all morning to prepare, "'and she scarcely nibbled it and then pushed it aside. "'I suppose she hopes a man will notice her dainty appetite "'and think she's an easy keeper.' "'How's the Empress's second choice faring?' the cook asked curiously. "'A serving man mimed the tipping of a wine glass.' Oh, he drowns his troubles and scowls at his rival, and moons at the little empress. Then he does it all over again, all very genteelly, of course. The man should be on a stage. No, no, she's the one who should be on a stage. One moment she's simpering at Rain's veil, but when she dances with him, she looks past his shoulders and flutters her lashes at young Trell. The serving maid who observed this added with a snort of disgust. She has them both stepping to her tune, but I'll wager she cares not a whit for either of them. But only for what measure she can make them tread. For a brief time, Althea listened with amusement. Then her ears and cheeks began to burn. She realized that this was how the servants had always spoken of her family. She ducked her head, kept her eyes on her plate, and slowly began to piece the gossip into bizarre image of the current state of the Vesteret family fortunes. Her mother was entertaining Rainwild guests. That was unusual enough, given that her father had severed their trading connections there years ago. A Rainwild suitor was courting a trader woman. The servants did not think much of her. She'd smile at him more if he replaced his veil with a mirror, one servant sniggeringly observed. Another added, I don't know who's going to be more surprised on their wedding night, her when he takes off his veil and shows his warts, or him when she shows her snake's nature behind that pretty face. Althea knit her brow, trying to think what woman was a close friend, close enough friend to the Vestert family that her mother would host a gathering in her honor. Perhaps one of Kefria's friends had a daughter of marriageable age. So now we we learn a little bit more that this is a farewell gathering of the Coopers family. Mm-hmm. They are leaving. They were guest house or guests of this house as we kind of figure out a little bit later in the chapter. And Malta got her wish to have a party with all of her friends Yeah, invited. And of course, Sir Wintrell is here and she is trying to dangle both of them along. Rain is probably aware but doesn't care about
1: it. I don't even know if I'd give him that much credit.
0: (laughs) Yeah he's very supremely confident that Malta loves him and him alone.
1: Yeah he like I don't know. he
0: Because they shared the dream and to him that's like a lot and her it's like this was nothing fun I guess. It's expensive (laughs) so that's cool.
1: (laughs) Yeah literally.
0: I get to brag about it to my friends so that's even better. (laughs) So yeah so she gets to uh, lord it over everybody else that she has a very rich man coming to call and wait on her and throw parties.
1: Yeah, it's also a little weird to me that Sir Wintrell is as enamored with her as he is. I guess we do know that she was sneaking down to town to meet with him and his sister. I mean, he's also probably younger than
0: Althea. i I'm, yeah, I'm for sure. I'm guessing he's like 16, 17.
1: No, definitely. He's not like... I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if he was the same age as Althea, but like, I'm sure there's like a couple years difference between them with him being younger. That also surprised me, but like either way, it's just weird that he's like so infatuated with her when at the start of this series, he didn't even know who she was basically. And then her dressing like a harlot (laughs) to (laughs) the dance in secret is opened his eyes and now he's just in love with her. I don't know.
0: She's very good at manipulation.
1: That's true. I'm not like denying her abilities. It just feels fast. But I guess there is, the more I think about it, there's a lot of implications that they have met without us being privy to those right. meetings. Yeah. So who knows what happens there, but apparently it's enough to make him feel as though he should be a suitor. Yeah. And her to know that he she can drag him along too.
0: So Althea is piecing all of this together. Mm-hmm. and the kitchen maid comes back and gives her some dessert say, hey, you might as well have these. They didn't eat enough of them. <laughs> right.
1: Oh, uh, before we move on, yeah, um, I did want to talk a little bit about how I think that Robin Hobb giving us this insight from the servant's perspective is really purposeful because it gives us a really good look at the dynamic in Bingtown that we don't have a view of very often. That's true. And that is what non-traders think and feel about these trader families and how they work. And we know that all of these are servants, not slaves. So obviously we're missing that. And there's no talk about that in this chapter really from these people, but having the servants all kind of not like (laughs) <laughs> the traders they're serving. I guess they're not really talking bad about everybody, just a couple people. But having them kind of have this disdain for them, it kind of takes it down, in my mind, takes down the old traders a peg because... Prior to this, the only things we really hear about the old traders is from old traders. And it kind of sets them up on this pedestal of they're so amazing and they're so smart and good at business and just like overall really good people. And sure, we have Malta doing some things, but we only know it's bad because we're in her mind. And sure, Ronica kind of has questions about her motives, but overall... It's not that bad. But then when you get to hear people who aren't part of that circle talk about them, I think it really lifts the veil a bit to show that like things aren't as good as people think. Right. And the old traders aren't as mystical and magical, I think, as they believe themselves to be.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, they feel as though and kind of rightly so that they have a birthright, to the secrets of the Rainwild River. I mean, just by the tribulations that their ancestors went through and their family ties with the Rainwild traders themselves. But there is a severe class disparity in Bingtown in all of these worlds, right? Right. But in Bingtown especially because the way that the, what is it, the three ship Folk uh-huh. are portrayed and the servants in general, they're all just kind of like, we are the old traders. we decide what's right, and then they can kind of have the rest. Right. It's just always a dismissive thought, yeah, you know, like- any point of view that we have, and... Amber kind of brings about the other points of views later on in this. She kind of represents yeah. the the slaves as a an advocate and yeah. some of those families like that. So the reckoning does come and there are hints of that of the the third book kind of coming to a head in Bingtown.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But they're fairly subtle unless you're looking for the social divides. Yeah. And if you're just following the plot, they're not super obvious. But you can see little glimpses into it like this.
1: Yeah. Where it's like, oh, so the traders aren't as liked as they think and they're not as revered as they think. Yeah. So I don't know. I just thought that was really important and a really interesting thing to put in this chapter specifically.
0: They're all stuck up rich people playing parts and should all be on stages for how fake they are.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Also, the fact that they all are reading through like reading these people for filth. They're they're like looking at these people like, no, they're fake. But I guess they're also not seen as people by yeah, this group yeah. of people, so of course they can see things that the other people wouldn't because they're not supposed to be there, you know. So I don't know. I just I really like this point of view in a way that I don't think I liked as or cared about as much in my last reading, but this time through, for whatever reason, it really stuck out, and I was like, oh yeah, this is great. I love this.
0: <laughs> oh, also, just a quick question: Do you think Trader Loud shirt? who thinks that the sausage rolls were made specifically for him is Devad.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, oh, there's too. no way it's not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's what I thought, too. All right. Anyways, <laughs> Althea gets her desserts, her sticky dumplings, and then muses more on what is happening. So she can recognize some of the carriages outside recognizes Sir Wintrell and his little sister as they left. The Shoyev family had also come. There were several other trader families that Althea recognized more by crest than by face, and it made her realize how long it had been since she had truly belonged to their social circle. Gradually, the number of carriages dwindled, and David Devadra's start was one of the last to depart, and shortly after that, a team of white horses arrived, drawing a rain-wild coach. The windows were heavily curtained, and the crest on the door was an unfamiliar one it looked something like a chicken with a hat and we know that's the crowned rooster right she decides that the rainwild traders had been house guests at the vestered home because there are trunks and luggage coming out and being loaded onto the carriage
1: right which also did we know that they were staying the night for several nights
0: uh no because the last time we heard was this was their first meeting they're just coming or whatever and i'm sure several more meetings have happened obviously time jumps have happened right because Althea jumped from just boarding Ophelia to being a couple days out from Ophelia, uh, from Bingtown. Right. So obviously like a month or two has probably passed. Right. During this time. And I'm sure that just progressed to like, hey, yeah, you'll stay for a few days. That's fair. So it makes her, it makes Althea uneasy to see that because she has no idea who they are or why they would be there. And she's wondering now. Had Kyle chosen to renew their trading connections there? Had her mother and sister supported such an idea? Had Kyle taken Vivacia up the Rain River? She clenched her fists at the idea. And she's kind of out of her, out of her head, or in her head, I guess. When the maid startles her and says, "Like you can go," and she apologizes, and it is led through her own house to her mother. Right. But she is infuriated at the idea that. Kyle would be allowed to go up to the Rainwild River, which I still don't think would happen. If he pushed it again, if the slaves weren't enough, but just got him barely ahead... I think maybe
1: Ronica might be convinced. I think Kefria would d- give in. I don't oh, think yeah. it has anything to do with that's what true. Ronica wants. Kefria knows the secret and she'll tell. And that's if true. they didn't, Malta knows the secret and Malta's going to tell. Right, so that's like, true. if things didn't happen the way they did, where the vivacia was taken by Kenneth, like he absolutely would be up the Rainwild rivers.
0: See the th- the thing is though, I think they would need Ronica's blessing to get the connections, mm. to have any sort of like this weird man who is not of old trader blood is going to be trading.
1: But do you think that he would realize that before already going down there and no, trying No, himself? I don't think so, but yeah. I think
0: they would, they would need it.
1: Right. So, but I think like, if he decided that's what he wanted to do, he would have just gone up the river and not caring if Ronica said no. That's fair. And then would have realized it was a big mistake without getting her blessing. And I don't think she would ever give her blessing, but I don't know that he would let that stop him necessarily. But as... Althea is going through this like thought process. She's just getting more and more mad. And it's really interesting because I think what's happening here is a defense mechanism, right? Because she's been so anxious to see her mom again. And then Things don't really add up and so she goes to worst case scenario and decides this is a direct assault against her and her father and what her father stood for and she's getting more and more worked up. She's like I can't believe I had to suffer all this time and my family got to lounge around and throw parties and do all this fun stuff and clearly that isn't what happened like look at the state of the house that's they have not been living it up but she can't look past this one detail that may give kyle an up and that's her weak point so she's kind of going in hot-headed
0: and she is walking around looking around and she says everywhere were the festive signs of guests and lively company vases of flowers filled every alcove and perfume lingered in the air when she had left this had been a house of mourning and family contention Now the household seemed to have forgotten those difficult days and her with them. It did not seem fair that while she had toiled through hardship, her sister and mother had indulged in social celebration. So there's rage and simmering confusion inside her. And she taps at the door, and she goes in, and she bobs a bow to the maid and enters the room. She describes her mother as wearing a simple day gown, and her hair is coiled and perfumed. A silver chain graced her throat, but the face she lifted to meet Althea's gaze was taut with weariness. Althea forced herself to meet her mother's widening eyes with a direct look. I've come home, she said quietly. Althea, her mother gasped. She lifted a hand to her heart, and then put both hands over her mouth and breathed in through them. She had gone so pale that the lines in her face stood out as if etched. She dragged in a shuddering breath. Do you know how many nights I have wondered how you died? Wondered where your body lay, if it was covered in a decent grave, or if carrion birds picked at your flesh. The flood of angry words caught Althea off guard. I tried to send you word, she heard herself lying like a child caught in a misdeed. Her mother had found the strength to rise, and now she advanced on Althea, her index finger leveled like a pike. No, you did not, she contradicted her bitterly. You never even thought of it until just now. She halted suddenly in her tracks. She shook her head. You are so like your father. I can even hear him lying with your tongue. Oh, Althea, oh, my little girl. Then her mother suddenly embraced her as she had not in years. Althea stood in a circle of her pinning arms, completely bewildered. A moment later, she was horrified when a sob racked her mother's body. Her mother clung to her and wept hopelessly against her shoulder. I'm sorry, Elthea said uncomfortably. And then she added, it's going to be all right now. A few moments later, she tried, what's wrong? For a time, her mother did not reply. Then she drew a deep, rattling breath. Veronica steps back, wipes her eyes, sits down unsteadily sits down, takes a long drink of her wine, and says everything. Everything that could be wrong is save for one thing: you are home and alive." The honest relief on her mother's face was more searing than her anger had been. And Althea says it's, hard, it's it was hard to cross the room and seat herself on the end of the uh, end of the couch. Harder still to say calmly and rationally, "Tell me about it." For so many months, Althea had looked forward to coming home, to telling her story, to forcing her family to finally, finally listen to her tr- her view. Now she was here and knew the unerring truth of Sa's own revelation that duty demanded she listen first of all to her mother.
1: Um, I just want to say I'm crying, <laughs> but also this is so much growth from Althea. I know I kind of was just talking about like the immaturity of her anger leading up into this and like, it doesn't really make sense. But I do think that, like I said, came from a place of self-preservation and it's way easier to be angry than it is to be afraid. Right. And then to come in and the reaction she gets from her mom is not at all what she thought it was going to be. I mean, I guess the anger she kind of predicted, but it's not angry in the way she thought. No, like, yeah. It's not, I'm angry because you're here it's I can't believe you didn't tell me where you have been all this time I thought you were dead
0: and that's also a self-preservation thing on Ronica's part right she's right. not actually angry at no, Althea. no she's relieved but again like you said it's easier to be angry than vulnerable
1: yeah and
0: especially for Ronica
1: yeah but you know what also props to Ronica because I feel like it's a big deal that she cries in front of Althea I and like hugs her. <laughs> Yeah and hugs her daughter and is just that happy to see her. I'm like crying again. It's <laughs> it's it's really touching, I think, because of how strained their relationship has always been. But it's nice to see that Ronica has recognized that you can't treat family the way that she has been treating Althea because Althea doesn't know that Ronica cares about her. And Ronica probably didn't even realize how much she cared about Althea until Althea left and didn't say anything. And I think that probably really caused her to do a lot of reflection on how she's been treating Althea up until this point. And I'm sure, too, with talking with Kefria and hearing that the way that she chose to parent them isn't necessarily a nice way to treat people. I'm sure got her thinking about the ways that she was being harsh on Althea and assuming that Althea knew it was coming from a place of love And now she has Althea here and gets another chance. And the first thing she does, you know, is hug her daughter and cry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And
1: I don't, I mean, I will say my only criticism is I don't love that she doesn't even ask where Althea's been or like how she is. She just goes down into like our family is in so much trouble right now. But I also totally understand where she's coming from because they are in a lot of trouble. There's a lot of stuff going down and it is very stressful. And it, from what she can, goes on to say, it doesn't really feel like she can depend on Kefria or has Kefria as a person to lean on in this. Whether or not that's right or justified is a completely different conversation. But I think...
0: Ronica doesn't feel like she can.
1: Yeah. And noticeably, she does feel like Althea can handle this and she can talk to Althea. Yeah. And... Althea, in a huge show of growth, lets her mom talk first. Instead of mm-hmm. being like, okay, well, that can wait. Let me tell you about my life and my plans. She goes forward and is like, you know what? Tell me what's happening. Yeah.
0: And she gets caught up. She learns pretty much everything. And we learn as well that Devad Restart had leapt into the midst of the uh, the Rainwild courting tangle and had made one gaffe after another all week in his determination to wring a profit from the courtship. Just because the man was totally tactless did not mean he was without tactics. It had taken all her ingenuity to keep him diverted and to keep Rain's family from taking offense. cafria was insisting on trying to manage the family businesses. That was her right, true, but she wasn't giving them the attention they needed. Instead, she was all caught up in the flowers and the frills of this courtship, and never mind that the grain fields were only half plowed and the planting moon was only a week away. A late frost had taken at least half the blooms from the apple orchards. The roof in the second bedroom of the east wing had begun to leak, and there was no money to have it seen to right now. But if it were not repaired soon, that entire ceiling would give way, and... Mother, Althea said gently, and then, Mother, a moment, my head is reeling with all this. Mine also, and for far longer than yours, her mother pointed out wearily.
1: Before we continue, um, I also want to talk about something that you skipped over a little bit, and just that Kyle has not sent word back yet, and that is a big issue too, because since they have not heard from Kyle, Kefria has nothing to tell the people that want to collect on debts. And that's not great, because they have a lot of debts, And because of all those debts, they have to, and because of society rules, they have to entertain this suit of the Rainwild person Mm -hmm. on Malta. And even though Malta shouldn't be old enough to court just because of the Cooper's family now holding the deed to the the ship.
0: Yeah. So Althea's caught up on the whole family drama here in short words, (laughs) in a very short time at least. Althea is saying, I don't understand this, trying to speak calmly. Kyle is using Vivatia as a slave ship, and Malta is practically being sold off to the Rainwild traders to pay our family debts. How can Kefria allow that, let alone you? Even if the Vivatia has not yet returned, how can our finances be so bad? Didn't the shoreside properties used to pay their own way? Her mother made small patting motions at her with her hands. Calm down, I suppose this is a shock to you. I have seen the gradual slide, but you return to see us at the bottom of our fortunes. And so Ronica gives her the whole spiel of everything that we've learned from Ronica's points of views. That, you know, the use of slaves in the fields and orchards in Chalcedon and even in Bingtown now are driving prices so low that they can't keep up. It's more profitable to leave their fields alone than to farm them. But what would their farmers do then? They have a lot of people relying on them, so they struggle on anyways. Or, well, Ronica amends. Or rather, at my behest, Kefria struggles on. She gives some heed to my counsel. Kyle, as you know, controls the ship. That was my error. I cannot bear to look at you in the face over it. But Sa, help me, Althea. I fear he is right. If the vivacious succeeds as a slaver, she may yet save us all. Slaves, it seems, are the only way to prosper. Slaves as cargo. Slaves in the grain fields.
1: This... Is insane to me because literally last time we saw her, this is maybe what we decided one or two months ago, she was fighting with Kefria over how slaves is so unethical. So, how in the span of like one to two months did she get to the point where she's like, Well, I guess slaves are fine? What? That doesn't.
0: Well, she doesn't say that it's fine. She says, I know that it's wrong, Althea.
1: But she's defending but it to are, Althea.
0: But what are our alternatives? Let little Malta unknowingly flirt herself into a marriage she isn't ready for, simply for the sake of a family fortune. Surrender Vivacia back to the Rain Wilds in forfeiture of the debt and live in poverty. Or perhaps we could just flee our creditors, leave Bingtown, and go. Saw knows where. So those in Ronica's mind are her options: leave Bingtown, sell Malta, or we lose Vivacia. Or deal in slaves, maybe, if it saves us. So a truly desperate woman backed in the corner and she doesn't consider maybe we just aren't old traders anymore Yeah, like and just live below our at,
1: means. Yeah. At what point do you realize you should live below your means? Number one. Number two. At what point do you realize maybe you're just not cut out to be traders? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't understand how Captain Vestrit. I can't think of his name. Friend. Thank you. Efren Vestrit was supposedly such a good trader that if he would have stayed well, he could have gotten them out of debt in the next couple of years. But him falling ill and Kyle taking over for like one to two trips was enough to set the family into financial ruin. They're completely broke now. How does that make sense if he was about to?
0: How does that not? He he wasn't about to, but he would have been able to get them out of debt. It's probably not one or two years because he was finding those contacts down in the South, right? It would probably take more trips and there are longer trips than the Rainwild River, but a short time. Kyle doesn't have those contacts. And it makes sense to me that people are, that they're, they were so close because of the raised tariffs because of all of this, it's rising cost of living. And already even before five years ago, when inflation started getting crazy, most families were two missed paychecks away from poverty now it's even worse with inflation in the real life.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So they missed their payments, their debt payments. That's okay, They're fair without enough. their paychecks for a long time, and they lost their other profit from the fields because of slaves. So they have no income,
1: Yeah. basically. Okay, good point. I think I was thinking of it more like, I thought he was really cl- the, like the way they talk about it made me feel like they were really close to paying off the debts. I
0: think they're fairly close or at least close enough to become comfortable with right. all the debts. Right. But because he doesn't trade up the Wild River, it takes longer. Right. And because he got sick when he did.
1: And Kyle's not a very good captain, which yeah, Kyle's is not
0: a very ca- good captain. Y- and all of that, it just kind of adds up. They were still making hefty payments on their debt, right? Like the debt, even if it's close to being done, it's yes. still a ton of money.
1: Yeah, I guess. I mean, they do talk about how the last payment, because she missed a payment, was 16 things of gold chests yeah. of
0: gold yeah whatever it
1: was is i don't that, know the money in, in the, mind, I, I, we're not getting into that sidetrack because everybody knows how we feel about <laughs> the money in this world it doesn't make sense it's not real whatever <laughs> they so it was like basically what i'm thinking in my head 16 treasure chests of gold <laughs> <laughs> so like how many is one payment <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking it's like six chests of gold per payment and I'm you thinking, do that three times a year was it a year? like
0: 10 was like their their base and it was late and then they paid interest so i think it was like 14 or something that okay. they had to pay i don't know plus their normal amount so it was like probably like 24 24? or something Oof. i don't know
1: okay sure i'll we'll go with that that's <laughs>
0: but like... but they didn't have to pay the 24 because then the cooper's family bought it right
1: no, they still had to give them the gold. That Because the Cooper's family was trying to take Malta instead, and they're like, no, we have your payment. Take the payment. Mm,
0: right, right, right.
1: So they're like, well, if you ever miss again, we're taking Malta. And it was like, okay.
0: <laughs> Whatever it was, it's it was a, a ton of money a lot of the time. So even with Efren becoming profitable and making those contacts in the way yeah. south of the waters with other treasures right. that weren't magical.
1: And I guess they are trying to be ethical business owners and that they're still employing the people who their jobs are also at stake because their jobs are all getting taken by slaves. So they're still trying to employ people that have always worked for them and are dependent on them to not become slaves themselves. Mm -hmm. And like, I get, I get it And some, but like, I think it's
0: all of that. Ronica is just with that slide. She's still like, you know if it saves us maybe he was right with the slaves you know yeah
1: it i just did not like at no point are slaves a good choice
0: <laughs> like, i don't think that's going to be a controversial
1: statement <laughs> yeah sorry to be controversial but slavery's bad um, <laughs> <laughs> um no i just it's just like it's such a weird like she's been so hung up against it but like now that it's like really affecting their coffers in a real way well, it's not just that, but
0: I think it's what she lists. It's selling Malta into something that she doesn't want to do, giving up their family life ship, which is basically a family member, mm-hmm. and their way to make money in the future, or leaving Bingtown where they've lived forever. And you have to remember, Ronica is, embodies the prideful old trader. like our ancestors struggled through this, so we can too. Right. So she's trying to find any way to stick with the status quo and right. do the normal thing and pay off the debt the normal way, right? Slaves works, maybe, even if she thinks it's morally wrong.
1: Yeah, I guess. I don't know. It just I thought that was like a, such a weird... Because it hasn't been that long since she was just arguing about Kefria. Like,
0: remember Kefria what you it. said earlier, too, is that we see this from Ronica's point of view. We saw the g- gradual slide and everything, and True. this is from Althea's point of view where everything is... Hitting all at once. Fair. She fair. can actually see the desperation and how tired Ronica looks. We saw yeah. how tired Ronica looks through Malta's eyes. Sure. But that's Malta, right?
1: And this, right, is, yeah, this is somebody
0: who loves her. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's like, oh my gosh, she looks tired.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so Ronica's sitting here like, I know it's wrong, but what other choice do we have? And Althea's like, have you truly considered such things? I have. Althea, if we do not take action on our own, then others will decide our fate. Our creditors will strip us of all we own, and then we might look back and say, well, if we had allowed Malta to wed rain, at least she would have been spared living in poverty. At least the ship would have been ours. The ship would have been ours? How? I told you, the Cooper's family has bought the note on Vivatia. They have as much as said as that forgiving the debt would be Rain's wedding gift to the family. That's crazy. Althea uttered the words flatly. No one gives wedding gifts like that. Not even Rain Wild traders. Veronica Vestra took a deep breath, changing the subject. And is like, okay, we have to get tuned to proper clothes without the servants seeing. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I think this is a really interesting thing because...
0: It really shows the depth of the wealth that the Cooper's family has.
1: Yeah, and that they're wealthy even for Rainwild standards.
0: Maybe we we're go. Maybe we have to revisit it and think that the Cooper's family did have all of the Wizard Wood logs and they sold them to other Rainwild families.
1: Right. I think they do. I, I think-, think
0: they did too. Because there's no like, other way. They're basically
1: yeah. the royalty of yeah. the Rainwilds. Like, I just. I don't know, but it's wild to me that in this, I don't know, I just, cause like, okay, let's say, let's say that none of the events happen the way that they do in the book. Let's say that Kyle is on his way back from selling slaves mm-hmm. with his profit and Malta does get sold off to rain. Then. Oh, if both happen? Yeah, if both were to happen, Kyle's not just gonna stop selling slaves because no, if yeah. it's profitable, he's like, well, it makes us money. We need money. I.
0: But. I feel like he would stop it, or at least partially stop it, to trade up the Rainwild River, because if Malta's up there, he's gonna push for it. Like, oh, we have these family connections now. Right. It's my right as her father. True. So I f and that and that's kind of what drove him that Vivacia thinks at least, right? That right. prestige of being a live ship captain. And mm-hmm. that's what comes with it, is trading in those goods. Having his name up there is like I'm a great live ship captain. Right. And I I think he, as we saw from his point of view, he doesn't love the slaves, like trading in slaves, because he found that very
1: off-putting. Yeah, but (laughs) not not, not not for any moral reason, just because it's smelly and he doesn't like that. Like, get over yourself. I hate him so much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I really think he would push for that if both of those things happened. Okay. So maybe he would make a trip once in a while, but I think he would really like force his way up the rain river.
1: Mm. Interesting. I guess. Yeah. Anyway, that's not what happened. So, <laughs> uh, but obviously Veronica is tired of talking about this. So she is not answering any more questions and is now going to, we need to get you here full time. And Althea has to stop her and say, no, I'm actually going to go back to the ship tonight. I do
0: have a message for you. Yeah, like, I, w-
1: I wasn't lying. I do have a message. I just didn't... I also need to talk to you alone.
0: So she says that the Ophelia has been seized at the tariff docks. Captain Tanira has refused to pay those fees. And especially all the ones they have t- tacked on to support those Chalcedian pigs tied up in the harbor. Tied up Chalcedian pigs? Her mother looks confused. Surely you know what I mean. The satrap has authorized Chalcedian galleys to act as patrol vessels throughout the inside passage. So she explains that, you know, they try to accost us, there's extra fees, so we're paying for them to do that. And Ronica's like, oh, the galleys. There has been quite a stir about them lately, but I think Tanira is the first to refuse the fees. Fair or not, the traders pay them. The alternative is no trade at all, as Tanira is finding out. "'Mother, that is ridiculous. This is our town. Why aren't we standing up to the satrap and his lackeys? The satrap no longer abides by his word to us. Why would we continue to to let him leech away our honest profits? Althea, I have no energy left to consider such things. I don't doubt you are right, but what can I do about it? I have my family to preserve. Bingtown will have to look after itself.'"
1: And I think this is why Big Town has gotten to where it has. Right. right. That's what every single old trader family is thinking.
0: Just looked after ourselves. Yeah,
1: we have to look after ourselves because our profits are failing and with the increase of slaves, instead of doing something about that to begin with, it's gotten to the point to where now everybody is financially struggling and they can't even focus on all these crazy new things coming in and destroying their way of living. That's going to have to sort itself out because we need to protect ourselves and That again calls back to a conversation we had earlier in this chapter of they think that they have a a birthright, like you said, Mm -hmm. to control this area and that they have the council and that's all that matters. They get to make the rules. But like, what does that matter if they don't actually care about the state of the town? Right. So who cares if you say you're in charge and put on silly little robes and hats and argue in a room together if nothing that you do is actually helpful to anybody in town, let alone yourselves? They're not even correctly doing this whole power grab thing. (laughs) It's so strange to me. Mm -hmm. I just don't understand. And I guess it's stemming from that individualism that they were raised on, that that's right. like part of their culture is it is about family first and foremost. And then also keeping your word as a trader, that's super important. But like if other people aren't keeping their word and you're still beholden to the word that you gave them, how does that work? Why, why are they trapped and the other people not, you know what I mean? So it's just, it's such a weird thing to me to see this insight of they think that they're better than everybody else and in charge but really they're not doing anything to help anything they're making things way worse by not acting and only considering themselves
0: and althea is trying to argue for that side trying to persuade her mother to act out more saying we can't think that way greg and i have discussed this a great deal Bingtown has to stand united before the new traders in the satrap and all of Jamalia if need be. The more we concede to them, the more they take. The slaves that the new traders have brought in are at the bottom of our family problems right now. We need to force them to observe our old law forbidding slavery. We need to tell the new traders that we will not recognize their new charters. We need to tell the satrap that we will pay no more taxes until he lives up to the letter of our original charter. No, we need to go further than that. We need to tell him that a 50% tax on our goods and his limits on what we may sell, where we may sell our goods, are things of the past. We have already let it go on too long. Now we need to stand united and make it stop. There are some traders who speak as you do, her mother said slowly, and I reply to them as I do to you, my family first. Besides, what can I do? Just say you will stand united with those traders who refuse the tariffs. That is all I am asking. Then you must ask your sister. She has the vote now, not I. On your father's death, she inherited. She is the Bingtown trader now, and the council vote is hers to wield. What do you think she will say? Althea asked after a long silence. It had taken her a time to grasp the full significance of what her mother had said. I don't know. She does not go to many of the trader meetings. She is, she says, too busy, and she also says she does not want to vote on things that she has not had time to study. Have you spoken to her? Told her how crucial those votes can be? It is only one vote, Ronica said almost stubbornly. Althea thought she heard a trace of guilt in her mother's voice. She pressed her. Let me go back to Trader Tanira and say this at least, that you will speak to Kefria and counsel her both to attend the next trader meeting and to vote in Tanira's support. He intends to be there and to demand that the council officially side with him. Runika agrees, yeah, I suppose I can do that. And you don't need to carry back the message yourself. We can send somebody else. Please, like, stay around. And Althea's like, no, I want to be in the middle of this. Yeah, it might be dangerous down there, but I want to be there. And I want to let them know that I stand firmly with them. And Ronica, of course, is being the mother and like, surely not right now. You don't have to go now.
1: Yeah, stay longer. Yeah. We just got you back.
0: Surely you can stop to eat and bathe and change to proper clothes. Althea says, no, I can't. I'm safer on the docks in these clothes. And there's other another person I must go see. "'But right after that I shall return. "'I promise that by tomorrow morning "'I shall be safely under your roof "'and attired as befits a traitor's daughter. "'You'll be out all night, alone? "'Would you rather I was with someone?' "'Elthea asked mischievously. "'She disarms her words with a quick grin. "'Mother, I have been out all night for almost a year now. "'No harm has come to me, at least nothing permanent. "'But I promise I shall tell you when I return. "'I shall tell you all when I return, sorry.' So she is going to come back by tomorrow morning and tell her story to her mother.
1: Right. Um, Before we go any further, I really want to back up because I feel like we've really been glossing over Kefria this chapter and talking about her. Um, And this is the second time we've gotten, well, a critique from Ronica about Kefria, but also more insight into how little Kefria has actually been doing
0: hmm so yeah before yeah. this she's been doing like nothing yes and then she demanded to take over some parts and tried to help train up or tutor malta and got malta involved with stuff and wanted to take over the businesses and we learned that she's just kind of half doing those things now
1: yeah it's really interesting More because... More than
0: before, but just... Yeah,
1: but but when we were in Kefria's point of view, she was so adamant that she was tired of her mom looking down on her and not thinking she was good enough. And she wanted the chance. She wanted to be able yeah. to take over. And she was tired of her mom telling her she was doing it wrong. And she's like, I can do it. I know I can. I'm a, I'm a woman now. I'm an adult. I'm capable of taking care of this. And then hearing this, obviously... It's not necessarily a perfect narrative because Ronica is very judgmental and doesn't think anybody but her can do things right, right. But if she's not even going to trader meetings, I mean, commendable that she
0: doesn't want to vote on something she hasn't studied, What is but then set aside time to vote or to study. Yeah.
1: And is that really why she's not going? How do you know about the things that you need to study up on if you're not going to any of the meetings where they're talking about (laughs) the things you should know about? Really, what I feel like she's saying is I don't want to vote until Kyle's here to tell me how to vote. And that makes me so frustrated because I felt like there was so much growth coming from Kefria of wanting to step up, of wanting to not just lounge around doing nothing. But the it,
0: courtship really distracted her and reminded her of good times. And I think she slipped back into the, I'll get distracted by this. Because yeah, because it's easy. It's and easy and it's fun. important for my daughter. Right. And
1: and who cares yeah. if we're more poor at the end of this because I'm not really doing my duties that's not important because it's never been important to her before so it's really hard to you know shake that habit I'm sure but like Ronica is just kind of letting that happen then because I obviously I don't want Ronica to step in and just do it but she I guess the alternative then is letting Kefria fail but at this point Kefria failing means that the family is out of a house like (laughs) so it's really hard I don't know what the answer is but it is really it's really sad to hear that kefria is not sticking to her will to become more independent and learn more and do more and instead is falling back into the pattern of not really doing anything at all it just i don't know yeah it's really i like i was expecting more of kefria i'm disappointed <laughs> i'm not mad i'm just disappointed <laughs>
0: well so is ronica <laughs> and she's also disappointed that althea is not going to stay
1: no and althea also isn't taking those excuses Althea's like right. okay well it is important and mm-hmm. you pretending like it's not doesn't change the fact that it is and also the well it's just one vote like okay <laughs> and everybody thinking like that i don't know sure it's just one vote but when you add up all those just one votes it makes a difference <sighs> whatever <laughs> So yeah, so Althea is not staying and Ronica's alarmed, but also recognizes that she can't control her daughter. She can't mm-hmm. force Althea to stay. Althea is going to leave.
0: Just uh, warns her like, OK, please don't let anybody recognize you. Our family fortunes are as shaky as they could ever be. So right.
1: that will really ruin <laughs> yeah try things. not
0: to, to jeopardize that if possible. Be discreet in whatever it is you must do and tell Captain Tenere to be discreet as well. So she says, "Yep, yeah, I will. The sooner I leave, the sooner I can be back then. And she turns to the door and halts, and Althea says, Would you please tell my sister I'm back, and that I wish to speak to her of serious things? I will. Do you mean that you will try to, well, not make amends or apologize, but make a truce with Kyle and your sister? Althea closed her eyes tight and then opened them. She spoke quietly. "'Mother, I intend to take my ship back. "'I will try to make you both see that I am ready to do so "'and that I not only have the most right to her "'but that I can do the most good for the family with her. "'But I do not want to say any more just yet "'to you or to Kephria. "'Please do not tell her that. "'Say, if you would, "'only that I wish to speak to her of serious things.'" Very serious things, her mother shook her head to herself. Go carefully, Althea, and return swiftly. I do not know if your coming home brings us salvation or disaster. I only know that I am glad to know you are alive. And so she hurries out of the house and down towards Bingtown. She says it's a beautiful spring day, and her first day on shore in her home port in almost a year. She wished she could take more simple gladness in it. And this is where she notices that other... Trader houses are also in disrepair. Several other great homes that she passed showed the neglect of a pinched purse. And when she goes through the busier streets of Bingtown's Market District, it seemed to her that she saw many unfamiliar folk. So things are changing.
1: Yeah. Everything is different. Yeah. It is not the Bingtown. She wasn't expecting it. Yeah.
0: All right. So Althea is done talking with her family, is going to deliver the message back, but also has stated that she wants to talk to one other person before she comes back after delivering her message to the T'Niras. Right. And we will catch up with that in the next episode. We're going to take a break right here, split it into two parts once again. And um, if you have thoughts on the current part of this chapter, please let us know. Please email us at isfitshappy at gmail.com. Or you can message us on any of our social medias or comment on any of our posts on those. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or excuse me, Facebook X.
1: <laughs> Whatever, it's Twitter.
0: Instagram, threads, or YouTube. Or it is Fitz happy on all of those. And don't forget to recommend this to all of your friends who have read these books. Or uh, rate and review us. Let us know how we're doing and if we can improve on anything.
1: We look forward to hearing from you guys next week. Now we're going to talk about our favorite part of the podcast. Well, my favorite part. I don't know if Luke likes it a lot. (laughs) I assume he does. (laughs) You get a different intro every time. (laughs) (laughs) It's time to talk about what you guys brought to us. And this week we're going to start with a Facebook message that we got from listener Naomi, who was talking about episode 161, and 161 is the one that's where Malta's getting ready for her um, first ever suitor coming to visit.
0: Kefri and are doing her hair, and we're in Malta's point of view.
1: Yeah, and this is where she's being really manipulative, and I was calling out the fact that it was a little weird that she was so adept at being manipulative, but... With good arguments. Yes, she had a lot of really good arguments for a 13-year-old. That's my thought. Another big thing that was part of this chapter is that Ronica is really good friends with Devad.
0: Or not really, but like his only
1: friend. (laughs) Yeah, it's her only friend. And she is not really willing to give him up as a friend no matter what he does. And we
0: did talk about that quite a bit as well, her pride in that.
1: Yeah, and we talked about that enough. And Naomi had a thought. So Naomi wrote in. And was wondering if maybe Devad is one of Ronica's only friends. Because we don't really see her meeting with any women other than Cowlin and... um, And eventually
0: Janie as well. Yeah, and Janie.
1: But other than the Rainwild contacts, she doesn't really have gatherings or meet with other people. It's just Devad who comes in unannounced and nobody else has really talked about. And obviously this is like hard because a lot of that information is coming from Malta's perspective where she talks about how there weren't very many parties in the last couple of years and she's young. Um, I think it is talked about a little bit in the books that Ronica used to have tea parties, but they were really old fashioned.
0: Yeah. It was with her friends. That's what I was going to bring up actually. But that was before Efren was sick. Right. When he was away, sometimes she would have gatherings and Malta hated them because it was all just old women doing knitting and sipping wine and tea and whatever, talking about adult stuff that she didn't care about. And there were no young girls to play with or young men to look at or anything like that. So it does state that Ronica does have friends. However, I agree with Naomi that it would have been an interesting perspective for Robin Hobb to bring in, a different family member from a different trader family to get more perspective from them to have Ronica lean on somebody. But I think it, that might sway away from Ronica's character. If she did that. Right. It is a little bit jarring that she doesn't have that support system or like goes to any friends. Like Naomi says, that's what people do, right? They go to their friends to lean on them for support and right. even just to vent about things. But I think Ronica is such; it is so wrapped up in the old trader independence. I am prideful of how well we can make it through hardships, right? right? That they're so wrapped up in that kind of mindset that she doesn't let herself do that. And she thinks that, I mean, as a cold person and not very vulnerable and warm, even with her own daughters. I don't think she sees the friends as a support system, but more of a luxury to have during nice times. Right. Yeah. Which is a little bit cynical.
1: <laughs> definitely. <laughs> of
0: my opinion of her, but I think that's what is Ronica's viewpoint.
1: But I definitely like the idea that that's kind of the reason why Devad hasn't left or hasn't been pushed aside because clearly he's the only friend she has that has consistently Mm -hmm. visited her, even when things were hard. Yeah. And I think that is a really important thing to point out and something that we haven't touched on at all that even if she does have friends that we're not aware of, they're not visiting. Yeah, none (laughs) of them are visiting. None of them are talking to her. And like,
0: we don't know societal norms well enough of bingtown for the morning period that Elthea talks right. about like if it's even possible or not possible but even if it is proper for right. even friends to come over for a social visit during this morning period it might not be
1: yeah and ronica
0: hasn't really felt the need to get dressed at all so she hasn't been into town yeah you know so i maybe it's just kind of society things but that's something Devad doesn't care about. So he is the one taking initiative and going out to visit.
1: Right. And it definitely, yeah, I think that's a really good point though, that we don't know enough about maybe why they're not coming. And if that says something about Ronica or about her friends, but either way um, it is a good thing to point out that potentially that's why Devad has lasted is even though he is kind of a horrible person, he is there in a way that nobody else seems willing to be for Ronica, right, and so that is important, even though he is again a trash person. <laughs> so thank you, Naomi, for bringing that up. Um, and then some other things that people brought to our attention um, more is more about Malta in episode one sixty one, and um, we'll start with a com or an email we got from Jordan, who talks about how Malta makes sense to Jordan because she was like Malta when she was younger. Yeah. And so I think that is a really interesting perspective to have.
0: Also, thank you for sharing that, Jordan, because I wouldn't have admitted that I was like Malta <laughs> when I was younger. So now
1: I feel like maybe we shouldn't ju- tell people that. No. Was-
0: <laughs> so thank you uh, for being self-aware and growing and sharing that experience with us. Cause yeah, I don't know. I, I was kind of tough. It was tough to picture a realistic side of Malta like yes she's portrayed realistically but it was to the extreme ends for me yeah so having kind of a perspective of like yeah people and kids especially can be like that yeah they can just resent their parental figures and attribute even illogically every bad idea to those parental figures
1: right yeah no and I definitely liked having that perspective I Um, Jordan does say that she assumes that I must have been a good child and you're not wrong. I was a goody two shoes. I followed all the rules. If an adult said something, that means that it had to be true. So, (laughs) you know, that's just my personality anyway. (laughs) I I don't know. I guess I was a bully technically in like first and second grade, but that we don't need to talk about that. (laughs) I grew out of it. Much as Jordan did, too. Jordan is no longer (laughs) similar to Malta and doesn't seem that way to me just from the email we got. But Jordan was talking a lot about how there is whenever you are somebody who doesn't care about rules and doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily a, quote, good kid. You can just use the system to your benefit and see how it works and maybe not necessarily understand why, but you know how. And so you can make judgments on what's going to work Mm -hmm. to get you an advantage, even if you don't understand why it works that way. Jordan
0: says, there are things I thought during that time that looking back seemed completely illogical. Even though I was ignorant about most things, I could usually see what I needed to say to get what I wanted. So that's why i being stupid about courting. But being able to see that she could get her mom and grandma to dress up for Rain's visit by appealing to their desire to keep up appearances makes sense to me. As, as adults, I guess that makes sense. As adults, we have a more developed brain. We can see connections between everything. And as right. kids, you, you just make those links to things that you are thinking about. Yeah. So she wants the shiny, pretty stuff, but she wants to look good in front of her friends while doing it. So that's why the appearances are important, but not the reason behind the courting and the shiny, pretty stuff. Right. You know, so once you explain it, Jordan, it does make sense. Like it, yeah, there, there are those links there.
1: It definitely did make me feel a little dumb for not realizing that beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, it's just different it's, experiences. No, definitely. And that's why I think I like So much when people write in about their own experiences to contextualize things that I've never been through or maybe they have. And I think that's so fun about having people write in because it's like, oh, my gosh, yeah, duh. Obviously, you don't need to know the whole picture to know how it works. And I just really enjoyed that perspective and also learning something new. So Jordan also talks
0: about an absent father and how Kyle is the favorite. Yeah, And we've kind of touched on this, but mostly danced around. But I think Jordan explains it pretty succinctly here and pretty straightforward. And it's something that it's true, as Jordan says, it is in real life too. And that's kind of not really a phenomenon, but just something that happens where the absentee parent is the fun one who can come back and have fun with the kid. You don't get to see him very often, but the ones at home are the ones doing the discipline, they're the setting boundaries there. You have to do your chores every day. Right. And when the parent comes back, that's absentee. That's a time for excitement because then all of the parents are there. Right. right. We'll do our fun stuff as a family. So they, the kid associates that with the parent that's gone.
1: Right. And especially if Kyle's not around all of the time when the rules are being set and doesn't care to learn about the rules. Yeah. Then he just breaks the rules for her and it makes it seem like, well, those rules don't matter if my dad doesn't think that they're Mm -hmm. important. And also
0: he spoils her. I
1: mean, yeah, that's, (laughs) you're not wrong, but just in general, that aspect too, of Kyle, isn't the one telling her that she can't do stuff because her grandfather's sick. Like he's giving her pocket money. He's encouraging her to be a woman. Now it's yeah, it's definitely a good point. And like Luke said, we haven't really brought it up. So it is a good reminder that the reason that he has so much sway over her and seems so cool to her is most likely because she doesn't know him. Yeah, true. He's just not around. And when he is, he's really fun and cool. So of course she loves him.
0: (laughs) So thank you for sending in that email, Jordan. Very insightful.
1: We also got a comment on Malta from Cookie Baker from the same episode. And... Cookie Baker is kind of taking Malta's side
0: on this, saying that Malta may see a little bit more clearly than Ronica in some cases. And I kind of agree with that aspect as well. It's an interesting dynamic. We were talking about how Malta is like, oh, I can see clearer, or as clear as grandmother. Oh, even more clear than her sometimes, right? She says that in the chapter, and we were making fun of that. And Cookie Baker brings up that Ronica's been trapped in her house for two years, you know, and Malta goes out and about. She sees more things in the current day.
1: Right. And so Malta is more in tune with what's going on. In society and yeah. what the changes are and especially being a child, she would be more in tune to that because children are like sponges. They absorb their mm-hmm. surroundings and really take in things, even the things that you're not expecting them to.
0: And even as a not even just a child, but a young person from a younger generation, you're looking for newest trends, things to keep up on, things to stay popular and right. We have noted before, Ronica is a stickler for tradition.
1: Right. And Ronica probably never really cared about those things. But Cookie Baker does point out that Malta does. Malta cares. And Mm -hmm. she's always looking for more information on what's going on, what's coming next. She's willing to try the things that are new. And that does kind of give her more insight to society and tradition than maybe Ronica Mm -hmm. has or gives her credit for. And Definitely. so I think that's also a good point that Ronica, as smart as Ronica is, and Ronica is an adult, she also is an adult who is going through grief and has been locked up for two years, basically. Yeah,
0: Ronica looks too far ahead in the future to really care about
1: the, the now. present. Yeah. yeah,
0: and Kefria cares too much about the now or I guess not doing anything to plan for the future and Malta is kind of a manipulative version of both of them. And is kind of a blend. It's like, yeah, I can get what I want in the future, but I want to do it well now. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's yeah. It's definitely interesting, but having these perspectives of Malta is really good. I think (laughs) where I have made a resolution to, for this book to be less harsh on Malta in general And I've been trying really hard to stick to that. So it is good to have more perspectives come in that are not as harsh to Malta.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah.
1: And to keep it in perspective that she is just a young girl who is trying to make sense of the world. Mm -hmm. And she just isn't a rule follower, which isn't a bad thing necessarily. Like people who only follow the rules all the time never create the changes. You know what I mean? Like it's the people who are the go-getters who are willing to try something new that allow society to make changes so and I feel comfortable saying that as a person who is normally a rule follower (laughs) and not necessarily that much of a go-getter but (laughs) you know what they also need us to make the world go round because without us things would collapse so it's fine (laughs) but it is good to get those perspectives so thank you cookie Baker.
0: We're going to move on to another email from Jonas, and he brings up the topic that we were discussing about when people figured out that Amber was the fool. And because because we were talking about all the foreshadowing and things like that. And Jonas admits that it was a very long time into the series before he recognized Amber as the fool. And on rereads, he notes like, yeah, should have seen it coming before, but getting into a new series... brain just kind of shuts off and you're like in that series right yeah which I totally understand
1: yeah it's definitely interesting to hear about people's reading styles and Jonas does talk about how he kind of dives headfirst into the story and kind of lives with the characters as they experience things
0: yep so Um, didn't try to think about the other stuff yeah isn't trying Um, to
1: find the twists and turns which is how I read so (laughs) Luke do you remember how long it took you I
0: don't I feel like it was maybe at the beginning of this book. Okay. I, yeah, I don't know. It could have been at the end of Ship of Magic, but it it might have been in the beginning of this book.
1: Okay, interesting. So. Yeah, but yeah, so it's it's really interesting to hear. Everybody has a different time frame when they, and it's really hard to remember exactly when. It's not like like we're all
0: going through and like marking the page and like. The first time I read was... Uh, eight years nine years ago or something like that this this book so I don't remember
1: (laughs) yeah yeah I don't remember how long ago I read this but it was So (laughs) definitely hard to remember but it is something that is like I think it's great I think it's a cool callback I think yeah whenever you figure it out in the story is such a fun like oh my gosh like I can't (laughs) believe the fool is here what's going on um, but there was also a comment that Jonas brought forward about Tommy Tanira and why he's the first to protest. And yeah. Jonas says that it's because he thinks it's because he it seems like a stand-up guy and also he's an OG trader who won't stand for these legal criminals taking over the place. He's a true settler of Bingtown at heart. And he's which, been away.
0: Which I think is funny because the true settlers of Bingtown were criminals. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, uh, you brought it up right at the end there, and it's something that we talked about in this episode, so it kind of fits in perfectly. Yeah. He has been gone. He's seeing Bingtown with fresh eyes, right, yeah. as opposed to the gradual slide of maybe traders who have been in port when those decisions were made. Right. He sees and experienced firsthand with the Chelsea and Galley at sea what the consequences are.
1: Right, and I think it's also important. Um, Jonas talks about how it's similar to when you see a kid that you haven't seen for a while in four months and you would be like, oh, my gosh, you've grown so much. Whereas the parents haven't even noticed because they're with the kid every single day. And it's such a subtle change. So having someone who has been away and makes a lot of long trips come back and be like, what is going on? This doesn't make sense. Where everybody else is kind of saying well, it's just how things are now. Right. It's annoying, yeah. but, you know, it's really important. So I do like that explanation. But I will argue that other people were also probably gone if it's happening at the docks. I
0: know, I know.
1: So I I don't know. I feel like they were also away and just kind of... But maybe those people that have come back since it's happened are more like people who aren't that opposed to Chalced or... And you again, know,
0: not all of them are captains where they sail themselves. Yeah. They could be like Devad, who owns or, you know, has merchant ships right. that sail for them.
1: And so their captains just have paid it. And right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: But also Jonas leaves off and includes sprinkled in th- through uh this email, some Ophelia Love, of course, and says that Captain Tanira. Setting the psychological warfare weapon of Ophelia loose on the dock workers is hilarious, which (laughs) is true.
1: Ophelia is the best character. Well, maybe not the best character, but like (laughs) I would argue she's up there. She's pretty great. And I agree with Jonas and would love to learn more about Ophelia and have a book about Ophelia, even just a short story. But whatever. So thank you, Jonas, for bringing that up. We also got a message on Instagram from listener David. Yeah. Who... Is talking about how the Cooper's family or they think the Cooper's family does own the logs, but also says that it's kind of not consistent throughout the books the way it's talked about.
0: David kind of lifts a couple of the contradictions between Live Ship or excuse me, Ship of Magic and Mad Ship here, namely that. In Ship of Magic, David believes that it states that the wizardwood logs have been divided between the Rainwild families, and the last remaining log being the Cuprises. Number two, that the Cuprises' great weth- wealth came mainly from flame jewels and not wizardwood, and three, that the cupress family bought the vivatia debt from the festru family, and the way it was written didn't really leave open an interpretation that the Festrus had bought the wizardwood for vivatia from the cupress family in the first place. Alternatively, it's just Robin Hobbs slowly revealing more about the Rainwald family's work. But to me, they don't quite line up the visions. And And there's a couple things about this. One, I I sort of agree that some of these things don't match up. But the flame jewel thing is mentioned that they are new discoveries. Yes. We know the Coopers family was rich before that. And in Ship of Magic, it was mentioned that the flame jewels are just kind of coming into prominence. And it's kind of a new thing. Right. It's very fancy. Otherwise, Malta would have known about it forever.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it's definitely one of their newer products. Um, it also does talk about, David does bring up that um, the city, although it is kind of general property of the Rainwild people, they are divided, the areas are divided into yeah. sectors that each family kind of owns that section of. And the place where the... Wizard wood logs are found the is Crown Rooster Chamber. Is the yeah. Crown Rooster Chamber, which is part of the Cooperus family hold.
0: Yeah, because in the family or in the excuse me, in the chapter with Janie, when she goes down there, she describes the embossed symbol on the door that they found. And that's right. where they got their family crest from. They have that chamber. Right. And that's where she says all the logs were. And he quotes something in here later on that from Mad Ship that Rain is talking about or thinking about and it hints that they had all of the logs. The Coopers family had all the logs and that's why he thinks there's those contradictions with Ship of Magic. But I... Maybe it's a retcon but I personally think that Robin Hobb is just doing the slow reveal. It is pretty much all of the Coopers' family's wizardwood logs and they sold them off a long time ago to different families or at least lent them or something, you know? Right.
1: There's some kind of deal.
0: Yeah, they got some kind of deal. They became fabulously wealthy because of it. And yes, the other Rainwild families are wealthy, but the other Rainwild families are the ones with the debts with the Bingtown traders, right? Right. So obviously those families had to have the logs first, but if the Coopers family had all the logs in one chamber to begin with, then it was the Coopers family who sold them to other Rainwild families. Right. Who then sold to or made the ships and then sold those to being town families. So like right. it has to be that way, the way that it's lined up.
1: Yeah. And I think it also m- would make sense that they wouldn't be shipbuilders. It kind of feels like the Cooper's family is a lot of like scholars and artisans, right. which makes more sense to being able to change the, eggs the dragon eggs into planks of wood but not necessarily building giant boats not that you can't be a boat maker and an artisan but like i think it makes more sense that like their role in the society Mm -hmm. isn't the boat makers and there are other families who do that with the wizard wood and then sell that to somebody Mm -hmm. else because i'm pretty sure it says that the live ships are made in the rain wilds and sold to people down the river right like I guess it doesn't I, they, ever talk about they
0: come into an agreement like so the I think the Bingtown family has to like commission one through a Rainwild mm, family right. or something like that. And then it will be built after they've made the agreements. So they okay. don't build them first and then sell them. They have a sale and then build them. Okay. Okay. And he also mentions in here that the Coopers family is the only one with the actual secrets that there are something inside of the wizardwood log. So that's something to keep in mind as well.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, I don't know. Definitely good, though, to get that perspective and to have all those things lined up so we can look at them further going forward. So thank you, David.
0: But another thing that he added at the end here is, again, talking about when Amber was known as the fool and David says he realized pretty quickly that happened, but he didn't realize that Amber carved Fitz's likeness into the paragon and assumed that it was someone else like uh, Burek for some reason, or maybe Verity didn't realize it was Fitz. Yeah. Which is very interesting to me. I guess the, the acts kind of maybe hints towards Burek, but like we spent so much time with Fitz that that surprises me.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's it is interesting to hear things like that where people the mm-hmm. little things people didn't catch the first time around. Yeah. I just I uh,
0: associate them so closely together that once <laughs> I saw it described, I'm like, yeah, that's fits. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much, David, for that. And then finally, we're going to end with a message from Daniel. Um, and it is about uh, something Robin Hobb has said, actually. And Hob. In the intro of The Inheritance, which is the collection of short stories, Hobb writes, but I think the biggest influence on this one is a small pet peeve I have with many fantasy tales. In so many of them, the main character discovers that he or she is the chosen one, the one gifted for no particular reason with the ability to do magic. The protagonist receives the gift and becomes a hero or heroine. I'm the worst of these stories, the magic and the mantle of being the hero is bestowed without effort by or cost to the pr- protagonist. And that is something that Daniel said is similar to what we talk about, too. So it's good to know that, yeah. <laughs> that we're backed up by Hob and how we're interpreting.
0: <laughs> yeah, Daniel specifically is kind of likening that passage and again we haven't read the inheritance actually or any of the short stories no we haven't um so maybe eventually after another 10 years once this series is done (laughs) we'll do a couple episodes on those but uh the 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 conversations we've had before is about how in some fantasy books protagonists kind of solve things and just kind of happens when them yeah. And then that's happily ever after, but there's lasting consequences for Fitz. Right. And I think this kind of pertains well because in the Farseer trilogy, like we've discussed before, Verdi would be the protagonist, really. It's, it's kind of his story. It's right. He's the main character in a traditional fantasy sense. Mm-hmm. But all of the effort. Not all of it. He goes through some hardships as well, a lot yeah. of hardships. <laughs> I mean, but like his. A lot of the lasting die. impact and everything is put on Fitz, right? right? All the magic and everything like that, the unique senses, and Fitz actually dies. Verity goes through hard times too, but Fitz takes the brunt of it. And yeah. that's kind of, I don't know.
1: We get to actually see the consequences. Yeah. I think that's kind of what makes me like the series, you know? Yeah. They're different in that way. And it isn't just a given that the good people will win out in a way that is satisfactory i guess right. so thank <laughs> so, you yeah thank you to everyone who has written in and thank you to everyone who will write in <laughs> we love hearing from you guys and finding out your points of view and giving us insight to things that we don't know so thank you guys and see you next week